happy birthday to our special guest today, Padma Sambhava. Episode 86, um, Tipitaka Part 25. I hope. I'm flying blind here, just going purely based on memory. Hopefully that's correct. Um, Happy Guru Rinpoche Day. Happy birthday to our special guest today, Padmasambhava. You can see I got a little dressed up. Got the lapis lazuli rocking. Um, Now, of course, on this channel, we're starting at the beginning. Wow, the wind's picking up. Maybe it really will rain today. We'll see. Um, Okay, so yeah, on this channel, Edward Reeves Buddhist Books Podcast, we're starting at the beginning of Buddhism uh, with the first basket, then we're going to do second basket, then third basket, then the earliest Mahayana Sutras, the middle Mahayana Sutras. We'll do a bit of commentary on the Theravada, courtesy of uh, Bodhigosa and some others. And then we'll get into the later Mahayana Sutras. And then we'll get into the Vajrayana Sutras. And then um, another two, three hundred years after that is when they start really emphasizing Padmasambhava. So it's going to be a while. I might be full gray or silver by then. Um, but, but if you'd like to skip ahead and hear me recite a bit of Padma Sambhava's life story, you can click here. I will create a playlist after this moment in my present time, before your present moment in your, this present time. Time is weird, I know, especially when technology is involved, YouTube and what have you. Even watches kind of mess up our sense of time, don't they? Um, So yes, that playlist that I pointed to, I'm going to create so far, right now. Ooh, more noise, please. Um, In present day, my present day, there are two videos on there in which I recite six of the cantos of um, The Life and Liberation of Padmasambhava by Yeshi Tsogyo as channeled by somebody, a treasure finder. You know how it goes. Um, so, yeah, that's that. I think that's that's about, that's about it for that. Um, just on a personal note, uh, the practices that my dad raised me with um, were not focused so much on deities, not focused so much on scriptures, um, focused more on uh, moron, huh? Focused more on meditation and chanting in each of the spheres and uh, a bit of prayerful devotion and that kind of thing. And then, I mean, for lack of any better word, magical practice. He had a dorja, wasn't this dorja, his was, his is over there. Um, 
but yeah, working with the Dorja in different ways, healing, astral projection, this kind of thing. Sort of the the new age end of the spectrum of um, of Tibetan tantric Buddhism, but not Shimbalaya, but probably adjacent. He probably, you know, any of the people that he knew and practiced with would probably resonate with them. Um, anyway. Uh, so, yes, then later in my own personal research, I came to discover the existence of Padmasambhava. Um, so, then by virtue of his having taught everything to Yeshi, uh, Yeshi, where Padmasambhava goes, so does Yeshi go. So, why don't we just keep her there? Um, yes, and so, uh, so yeah, so. That was when Nyingma uh, Buddhism was established. And the closest that I could find when I started researching all the different forms of Tibetan Tantric Buddhism, monastic and otherwise, was uh, was Nyingma. And so um, I started working with uh, Vajraguru and doing the Vajraguru chant and connecting with Vajraguru and um, that kind of thing much more recently, just about five, six years ago. And, uh, you know, getting as much information as I could about that, um, as I felt that it tied in with the practice that I had been raised with. And uh, that's why, generally speaking, I, I, I don't identify as anything so much anymore, um, just as a person on the path. I don't really like all the connotations and implications and things that come along with identifying with something. Oh, so you're a this or a that. Oh, okay, what level are you? It implies a lot. It implies a hierarchical structure. It implies a superiority and inferiority on whatever level. Um, so I just say, no, I'm not any of those things. I'm just a dude. Just pay no attention to this. Uh, but this does happen to be a Nyingma monk's robe, a non-monastic monk's robe, from what I understand. So... That all being said, we got we got ended up over here at the beginning, so we'll dial it back, and we'll uh, we'll get back to the early Buddhism, pre-sectarian, early Theravada, and continue reading the rules with Sangha di Sessa Nine. If this is your first time seeing me, click here instead. You can start with uh, Parajika One. It, it's really nice how it starts, if you haven't seen that one. Um, I, you know, I, for about 10, 12 minutes, I go into like a synopsis of all those things you just saw, except for the one over here, which we went, we went into that yesterday. But um, yeah, so I break all that down, and then we dive into the very beginning of the Tibitaka, which, pleasantly enough, uh, starts out with a very interesting and nice story and kind of sets up the whole situation, the whole scenario in which Lord Buddha isn't going to just start out giving you a list of a hundred rules. He's going to wait until these issues come up and then give the rules as they come up so that the monks can see the results of someone doing these acts and they can understand why the rule is being given. So, and that all had to do with um, ensuring the longevity of the Dharma, of the, ensuring the longevity of, of his teachings and his order, um, doing it this way in order to um, ensure the longevity of, of his order. Because someone asked him, I believe it was Amitabha, or no, 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 
<laughs> Ananda, not Amitabha. Ananda had asked him, you know, uh, what's what makes the difference between an order that lasts and one that doesn't last? And he said, well, one that lasts has uh, has a set of rules and teachings, and they chant them and they remember them, and it goes forward. And the ones that don't last, the uh, the master goes around and kind of micromanages everybody's path and just kind of helps that individual to attain enlightenment and then so those only last a few centuries but you know the ones that last for millennia um, function like this so Ananda says well then give us the rules and he says "Uh, not today Um, I'm going to be giving you the rules as it comes up and then it starts to come up and so that's then you're set up to start oh okay okay rule number one rule number two this is why that rule exists and so on and so forth okay so here we are and uh Happy birthday to you, shall we? Formal meeting, Sangha di Sessa, part nine. At one time, the enlightened one, the Lord, was staying at Rajagaha in the bamboo grove at the squirrel's feeding place. We've been here before, haven't we? At that time, as the monks who were followers of Metia and Bumaja, remember them, were descending from the slope of the vulture's peak, they saw a he-goat copulating with a nanny goat. Seeing them, they said, quote, Look here, your reverences. Let us call this he-goat Daba the Malian. Daba the Malian. That's rude, calling out Goat Daba the Malian. You remember the issues that came up last time? If not, you haven't heard the previous episode. It's okay. This is Daba the Malian. Actually, it's Viral Chana or Viral Kana, depending on who you ask. Um, but he's playing the role of Daba the Malian, who attained perfection when he was seven years old under Lord Buddha. Yes, and uh, call that... Oh, yes, okay, okay. So... Let us call this he-goat Daba the Malian and this nanny-goat Metiya, the nun. Thus we will express it. Quote, formerly your reverences, quote within quotes, formerly your reverences, we spoke to Daba, the Malian, about what was heard. And now we have ourselves seen him sinning with the nun Metiya, Metiya. End quote. These gave that he-goat the name of Daba the Malian and called that nanny-goat Metiya the nun. Those monks, those, these told the monks, quote, Formerly, your reverences, we spoke to Daba the Malian about what was heard, but now we ourselves have seen him sitting with Daba the nun, end quote. See, see what's happening here? All right. These told the monks, continuing, the monks said, quote, Your reverences, do not speak like that. The venerable Daba the Malian would not do that, end quote. Then these monks told this matter to the Lord. The Lord, on that occasion, in that connection, having had the order of monks convened, asked the venerable Daba the Malian, quote, Do you remember Daba? Having... Uh, to have done as these monks say. Quote, quote, the Lord, Lord, the Lord knows with regard to me, he said. A second time the Lord asked him, he replied the same. A third time the Lord said to the venerable Daba the Malian, did you do this? You know me, Daba the Malian said. 
quote, do not daba, three dots, and quote, dot, space, dot, quote, dot, space, dot. So basically, uh, he said, don't, don't talk in circles. Answer, yes or no, did you do it? How much more when I was awake, he said, right. So you remember the opening to yesterday's, the little clip at the, at the beginning. I have not had sexual intercourse even in a dream. How much less so when I was awake? Or how much more so have I not had it when I was awake? Then the Lord addressed the monks, quote, because of this, monks, you should put questions to these monks, quote. Having spoken thus, the Lord, rising up from his seat, entered the vihara. Then these monks put questions to the monks who were followers of Metia and Bumajaka. These, being questioned by the monks, told this matter to the monks. Quote, did you not defame the venerable Daba, the Malian, your reverences, with a charge of falling into defeat, taking up some point as a pretext in a legal question really belonging to something else? <clears throat> End quote. It is so, your reverences, they said. Then those who were modest monks became annoyed, vexed, and angry, and said, quote, How can the monks who are followers of Daba, er, followers of Metia and Bumajaka, defame the venerable Daba, the Malian, with dots, to something else? End quote. Then these monks told this matter to the Lord. He said, quote, is it true, as is said, that you monks defamed Daba the Malian with dots to something else? It is true, Lord, they said. The Enlightened One, the Lord, rebuked them, saying, quote, How can you, foolish men, defame Daba the Malian with dots to something else? Those who are new to this channel, uh, the dots refer to, yes, those... Um, the Polytech Society. Yes, that's fun. Um, uh, often uh, replaces text with three dots, I guess, to make the books shorter uh, when when said text has been said before. So this is something, of course, in this style of writing. They often repeat whole paragraphs of, uh, of what's being said. So that's what's happening there when you hear me say dots or three dots. Okay, uh, yes. Foolish men, it is not for the benefit of unbelievers, three dots. In those three dots as something uh, to the effect of it is to the detriment of believers and non-believers and it causes wavering in some. And thus, monks, this course of training should be set forth. Whatever monk, malignant, malicious, and ill-tempered, should defame a monk with a charge involving defeat, taking up some point as a pretext in a legal question, really belonging to something else, saying, thus perhaps may I drive him away from this Brahma life. Then, if afterward, he being pressed or not being pressed, the legal question turning out to belong to something different, if the monk confesses his malice and confesses having taken up some point as a pretext, it is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. Okay, so they illustrated it pretty well. They decided, ah, we're going to call that goat Daba the Mali, and we're going to call that goat, you know, the nun, and say, oh, we saw them copulating. But that's not in reference to the thing they're actually talking about. It's in reference to something else. They thought they were being clever, that they found a loophole. Loophole closed. Whatever means, 
You remember what whatever means? Uh, In a legal question, really belonging to something else means either it is an offense of a different kind or it is a legal question of a different kind. How is a legal question connected with a different kind of legal question? The legal question arising out of disputes may belong to something different. To a legal question arising out of censure. To a legal question arising out of transgression to a legal question arising out of obligations, a legal question arising out of censure, three dots, a legal question arising out of transgressions, three dots, a legal question arising out of obligations may belong to something different, to a legal question arising out of disputes, to a legal question arising out of transgressions, to a legal question arising out of obligations. Thus, a legal question may belong to a different legal question. How is a legal question connected with a legal question? A question arising out of disputes is connected with a question arising out of disputes. A question arising out of censure is connected with a question arising out of censure. A question arising out of transgression may be connected with a question arising out of transgression, or it may be connected with something else. How is a question arising out of transgression connected with something other than a question arising out of transgression? An offense involving defeat through sexual intercourse may belong to something else, to an offense involving defeat through taking something that was not given, to an offense involving defeat through taking up human form, to an offense involving defeat through claiming states of furtherment, of taking up human form, I believe that means murder. An offense involving defeat through taking something that was not given, dots. An offense involving defeat through taking up human form, more dots. An offense involving defeat through claiming states of furtherment may belong to something else. To an offense involving defeat through sexual intercourse, to an offense involving defeat through taking something that was not given, to an offense involving defeat through taking up human form. Thus, a question arising out of transgression may belong to something other than a question arising out of transgression. And how can a question arising out of transgression belong to a question arising out of transgression? An offense involving defeat through sexual intercourse may belong to an offense involving defeat through sexual intercourse. Three dots. An offense involving defeat through claiming states of further men may belong to an offense involving defeat through claiming states of further men. Thus does a question arising out of transgression belong to a question arising out of transgression. A question arising out of obligation out of obligations may belong to a question arising out of obligations. Thus may a legal question belong to a legal question. Well that's clear. Right? taking up some point as a pretext. A pretext means that there are ten pretexts. The pretext of birth, the pretext of name, the pretext of family, the pretext of characteristic, the pretext of offense, the pretext of a bowl, the pretext of a robe, the pretext of a teacher, the pretext of a preceptor, a pretext, the precept of lodgings. The pretext Pretext, precept, pretext. Okay, he was saying pretext nine times, then he said precept of lodgings. Maybe he was dictating. 
it's a typo. Maybe it's Maybelline. The pretext of birth means a noble is seen committing a matter involving defeat. Seeing another noble, he reprimands him, saying, A noble is seen by me. You are one who has committed a matter involving defeat. You are not a recluse. You are not a true recluse, if you believe the parentheses. You are not a true son of the Sakyans. There is no holding the observance day ceremony with you. Those emphasized words, holding and ceremony, also in parentheses. Or the ceremony at the termination of the reigns. Or the ceremony performed by a chapter of monks. End quote. For each speech, there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. So if you accuse one nobleman because you saw a different nobleman doing something. Right, okay. A Brahmin is seen, three dots. A merchant is seen, three dots. A low caste man is seen, three dots. For each speech, there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. So in the dots, there's that whole same situation. He sees a Brahmin, he accuses a different Brahmin. He sees a merchant, he accuses a different merchant. So that uh, it's a mistake of identity based on caste or job. Um, the pretext of name means one who is a Buddha Rakita is seen, dots. One who is a Dhamma Rakita is seen, dots. One who is a Sangha Rakita is seen committing a matter involving defeat, seeing another Sangha Rakita, dots. For each speech, there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order, or in the example of naming the goats after the same name. That, uh, the pretext of a family means a Gotama is seen, dots. A Mogalana is seen, dots. A kokana is seen, a vasita is seen committing an offense involving defeat, seeing another visata, or gotama, or what have you, dots. For each speech, there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. Okay. Uh, the pretext of characteristic means a tall man is seen, dots. A short man is seen, dots. A dark man is seen, dots. So if you see a dark man do something like murder or steal, or a monk having sex when you're not supposed to because you're a monk, or a monk claiming to be enlightened. Um, and then you accuse a different man who also is dark. You get the wrong man. That's, uh, that's called uh, racial profiling. You guys are racial profiling. In, uh, in our modern vernacular, that is forbidden by the Buddha, specifically named ahead of his time. That's all I'm saying, in some ways. In other ways, he's still pre-1960s. It's okay. It's 2,600 years ago. Is it okay? Maybe, maybe not. Um, yes, a fair man is seen committing an offense involving defeat. Dots, yes, also. For each speech, there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. So, okay, so in the previous one, uh, it was about false accusation, just out of malice, just out of wanting them to be out of here. In this, he's covering false accusation, intentional or accidental, although he did say with, uh, with malice in your heart. So, well, regardless. Um, yes, based on mistaken identity because he was tall or because whatever, he looked like his cousin. The pretext of an offense means one is seen committing a slight offense and if he reprimands him for a matter involving defeat, saying you are not a true recluse, dots, dots, 
For each speech, there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. So if somebody does something like uh, that would be considered a wrongdoing, like petting the hair of a eunuch, first thing that came to mind, and someone said, ah, you had sex with that eunuch. No, I was just petting her hair, or whatever pronoun they prefer. Then that entails a formal meeting of the order because you're exaggerating the offense and uh, to the level of defeat. The four defeats, murder, sex, stealing, pretending to be more enlightened than you are. The pretext of a bowl means one carrying a copper bowl is seen, dots. One carrying a bowl of hide is seen, dots. One carrying a cracked bowl is seen, committing a matter involving defeat, dots. For each speech, there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. So a monk, you see a monk with a bowl do something absolutely wrong, and you accuse a different bull who also has it. I mean, you accuse a different monk who also has a bull, right? The pretext of a robe means one wearing robes taken from the dust heap is seen, dots. One wearing householder's robes is seen, committing a matter involving defeat, dots. For each speech, there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order, mistaken identity based on what they're wearing, or presumably all of these things. I saw a man wearing that kind of robe with that color skin, carrying a bowl from that family, and he was tall. That was his cousin. That's he, they're both in the same you know order. They have the same robe, and they look very similar. So get get it right, right? The pretext of a teacher means the pupil of such and such a one is seen committing a matter involving defeat. Dots. For each speech, there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. The pretext of a preceptor means the novice of such and such a one is seen committing a matter involving defeat. Dots. For each speech, there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. The pretext of lodgings means a dweller in such and such lodgings is seen committing a matter involving defeat. Dots. For each speech, there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. Translator's note. With a charge involving defeat means... Oh, no. Okay, here we go. This is actually the text. With a charge involving defeat means one of the four... Um, so it says here this is the same as the formal meeting number eight. A question arising out of obligations. Okay, with a charge involving defeat. Right, one of the four defeats that I just mentioned. Some uh, taking up some good taking up some point as a pretext means taking up a certain pretext among these pretexts. If a monk confesses his malice, means dots same as the formal meeting uh, number eight, right? Because of this, is called an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. So if the monk admits that he falsely accused because it was also a tall guy, then there's a formal meeting of the order. A monk is seen committing an offense which entails a formal meeting of the order. In the offense which entails a formal meeting of the order, there is a wrong view as to an offense which entails a formal meeting of the order. If he, rep if he reprimands him for a matter involving defeat, saying, quote, You are not a true recluse, dots, nor a ceremony performed by a chapter of monks, end quote, 
Thus, it is connected with a different kind of offense, and a pretext is taken up. For each speech, there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. A monk is seen committing an offense which entails a formal meeting of the order. In the offense which entails a formal meeting of the order, there is the wrong view that it is a grave offense. Dots. There is the wrong view that an it is an offense requiring expiation, which we haven't gotten to yet. Presumably that's later on in the, uh, these books. Uh, dots. There is the wrong view that it is an offense which ought to be confessed. We'll get to those, no doubt. Probably there'll be more of them. Again, trying to find patterns. There were four big rules, 13 almost as big rules. So by the time we get down to something that ought to be confessed, it'll probably be hundreds. Um, anyway, dots. There is the wrong view that it is an offense of wrongdoing. Dots. There is the wrong view that it is an offense of evil speech. If he reprimands him, dots, for each speech there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. So you have a formal meeting of the order whenever one monk falsely accuses another monk. All right. A monk is seen committing a grave offense, dots, an offense requiring expiation, dots, an offense which ought to be confessed, dots, an offense of wrongdoing, dots, an offense of evil speech. In the evil speech, there is a wrong view of evil speech. If he reprimands him, dots. For each speech, there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. A monk is seen committing an offense of evil speech. There is the wrong view that in the offense of evil speech, there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. There is the wrong view that the evil speech, uh, that in the evil speech, there is a grave offense, an offense requiring expiation, an offense which ought to be confessed, an offense of wrongdoing. If he reprimands him, dots. For each speech, there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. Beginning severally, the series, with this exception, should be put together. That's one of those titles that's also a table of contents. But what comes after it is surprisingly short, so let's see what happens. A monk is seen committing an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. In the offense which entails a formal meeting of the order, there is a wrong view as to an offense which entails a formal meeting of the order. If he causes him to be reprimanded for an offense involving defeat, saying, quote, you are not a true recluse, true being in parentheses, three dots, end quote, three dots, for each speech there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. Are we having fun yet? Um, a monk is seen committing... We're almost done. A monk is seen committing an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. In the offense which entails a formal meeting of the order, there is a wrong view that it is a grave offense. Three dots. A wrong view that it is an offensive evil speech. Dots. A monk is seen committing an offensive evil speech. Dots. There is a wrong view that it is an offensive wrongdoing. If he causes him to be reprimanded, causes him to be reprimanded, different from reprimanding him himself, dots. For each speech, there is an offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. There is no offense if, thinking what is true, he reprimands him or causes him to be reprimanded if he is out of his mind or if he's a beginner. So it's only if it's intentional. If someone says, I think I saw you do a bad thing, and it's like, no, 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 that wasn't me. That was my cousin, also has the same color skin, also same height, wearing the same robe. But if a monk intentionally says, 
I saw you. I saw that robe. I saw that bowl. But the monk knows it wasn't that monk. It was a different monk. Or in the case of the example, he knows that it was a goat that he named Daba the Malian. Anyway, told is the ninth offense entailing a formal meeting of the order. Well, now we know. Um, so, real quick, uh, Twin Peaks fans know that this is a shout-out to Ani. Uh, hope that your process of papyrusing is going all right. We got another part with Anubis on the feather yet? Ooh, that, that part's... No, it's a different Ani. Annie, in this case. Um... So, yes, I want to close with a recital that I did, I think about seven years ago, six or seven years ago, of uh, what was purported to be the song that Padma Sambhava sang to uh, the king, the Dharma king, and his court, and the people there in Tibet when he was leaving. And... Uh, Yeshi Tsogyal, of course, was uh, said to have had a photographic memory. So she memorized every word, exact word, of this song that Padma Sambhava sang. And then a thousand or so years later, a treasure finder contacted Yeshi Tsogyal on the astral and she told it to him, or something like that. So that, that's something that's not unusual in, uh, in Vajrayana Buddhism in Tibetan Vajrayana Buddhism. I don't know if it's specifically that. We'll learn together um, if that was something going on in Nalanda University, if that's something that goes on in Japan, in Shingon Buddhism, or if it's something unique to uh, Tibetan Tantric Buddhism. Um, there is an allowance for that. And of course, people can come along and be false ones or true ones. Um, those familiar with, for example, the Catholic Church, they say no new revelations. So when, uh, when Joseph Smith comes along or when, you know, those guys up in Munster, Germany or whoever comes along and says, ah, ah, I've got something new. God said something new. They say, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. You're a liar. Yeah, but he did, though. No, he didn't. You're a liar. You know, so people like Joan of Arc had a hard time until their continued popularity over centuries uh, forced them to make her a saint and admit that they were wrong about excommunicating or stuff like that, stuff like that. But in um, Tibetan uh, Buddhism, there's allowances for that. Uh, sometimes someone comes along and they're channeling uh, wisdom. Sometimes there's a book about Padmasambhava that Yeshi wrote and memorized that has been lost. No copies of it are left, but somebody read it in a dream and they wrote it down and now here it is and they don't sign their own name, they sign Yeshi Togyal. So, I'm not saying that that's good or bad. I'm just saying that that exists. Um, so, yeah. Whereas this, on the other hand, uh, this is sort of a different matter. This was, you know, might have been misremembered. It might have been written two or three hundred years after Lord Buddha passed away. Similar to the Gospels in, uh, in, in uh, the New Testament of, of the Bible. Uh, they might not be the exact words that Jesus said. These might not be the exact words that Lord Buddha said, but they are the closest we have to uh, to the exact words this year. Um, and, of course, Padmasambhava is a different individual from 
Lord Buddha, though they're both said to be uh, related to Amitabha by people much later than this. It's a little confusing, I know, but, uh, but nonetheless, I was very moved by this particular song that Padmasambhava was said to have sang, sung, sang, sang, sung, isn't that a type of phone, um, as he was leaving or right before he left Tibet. So for today, we'll put all, we'll, we'll um, suspend our disbelief, right, for a moment so that we can experience this in its wholeness as a, a devout person might experience the listening to of these words because they are good words, I'd say. Um, so I will get to that after I say the prayer, but before we do the, the closing shot of the books and the drums, right? So here we go. So you know what's coming up next, right? We're all clear? Any questions? Feel free to comment below and do please. If you're so inclined, uh, it does help the algorithm to know that you know this this stuff should be uh, viewed by more people who are interested in these things. If you do that, anyway. To the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us and to the spirits below, we send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace. Until next time. I am a yogi beyond word, thought, and description, who journeys on the plane of the view free from extremes. When I journey on the plane of this view, I journey while regarding appearance and existence as Dharmakaya. I am a yogi of luminous appearance and emptiness who journeys on the plane of the meditation of empty bliss. When I journey on the plane of this meditation, I journey beyond meditation and post-meditation. I am a yogi of self-liberated perception who journeys on the plane of spontaneous conduct. When I journey on the plane of this conduct, I journey in equal taste, without accepting or rejecting. I am a yogi of self-existing non-fabrication, who journeys on the plane of spontaneously accomplished fruition. 
when I journey on the plane of this fruition, I journey free from hope and fear. I am a yogi beyond word, thought, and description, who journeys over the pass of the view free from extremes. When I journey over the pass of this view, I journey beyond meditation throughout day and night. I am a yogi of luminous appearance and emptiness who journeys over the pass of meditation of empty bliss. When I journey over the pass of this meditation, I journey free from dullness and agitation. I am a yogi of self-liberated perception who journeys over the pass of spontaneous conduct. When I journey over the pass of this conduct, I journey while sowing the seeds of omniscience. I am a yogi of self-existing non-fabrication who journeys over the pass of spontaneously accomplished fruition. When I journey over the pass of this fruition, I am the Buddha of perfected realization. I am a yogi beyond word, thought, and description, who journeys down the slope of the view free from extremes. When I journey down the slope of this view, I dwell in the state of non-arising dharmata. I am a yogi of luminous appearance and emptiness, who journeys down the slope of the meditation of empty bliss. When I journey down the slope of this meditation, I dwell in the state of undistracted non-meditation. I am a yogi of self-liberated perception who journeys down the slope of spontaneous conduct. When I journey down the slope of this conduct, I act according to the words of the Sugatas. I am a yogi of self-existing non-fabrication, who journeys down the slope of spontaneously accomplished fruition. When I journey down the slope of this fruition, I am the Buddha whose stream of being is purified. I am a yogi beyond word, thought, and description, who journeys to the place of the view free from extremes. When I journey to the place of this view, samsara and nirvana are of the same nature. I am a yogi of luminous appearance and emptiness, who journeys to the place of the meditation of emptiness bliss. When I take the journey to the place of this meditation, the nature of thought is wisdom. I am a yogi of self-liberated perception who journeys to the place of spontaneous conduct. 
when I journey to the place of this conduct, appearance and existence have the nature of a mandala. I am a yogi of self-existing non-fabrication who journeys to the place of spontaneously accomplished fruition. When I journey to the place of this fruition, everything is the nature of Buddhahood. Once you realize the intent of this song, samsara is nothing to be rejected and nirvana is nothing to be accomplished.